Iowa everywhere. Hey guys, it's Chris Williams here from Iowa Everywhere. Now, I tweeted out earlier today that there was no Rosenblum podcast. And, well, surprise, you never know what Sage is going to do. Sage randomly was at the Eagles-Vikings game last night, and he stopped by George Niang's house in Philadelphia to record this podcast. Now, full disclosure, the audio is not great. Again, this was a spur-of-the-moment thing, so they actually used an iPhone to record this thing. I've doctored it up as much as possible. It's still a good podcast. You can make it out. You just you have to turn it up a little bit with George every once in a while. And it, it's really interesting stuff. Talking about being professional athletes, a couple Iowa State guys, really cool. Here it is, uh, George Niang uh, with Sage Rosenfels on Iowa Everywhere. Hello, this is Sage Rosenfels. Welcome to the Iowa Everywhere podcast group. Uh, I am currently in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania with my man, George Niang, current Philadelphia 76er. We are both at the Eagles game last night. Fly Eagles fly, I guess is what they're... Uh, that's what they say around here. That's, that's an impressive win. Though. That's what they say. My man Brent Bloom is not here today, uh, and so it's just us. Just us with a little one-on-one. Yeah. We're in his beautiful sort of townhouse apartment. Uh, I've known George... Well, here's my first question to you. Is this how we start every podcast? How do you know me? I think we met as my senior year. We had a football game, and then we've kept in contact ever since. We've had some some meetings up in uh, Iowa City, um, and then a couple a couple basketball games. I feel like yeah, and uh, we just remain friends. I mean, Sage has been great to me, you know, with all the advice that you've given me, whether it's sports or just the whole process of being a professional athlete. So I think that's kind of brought us together, and obviously being cyclones is, is another thing, too. Yes, uh, uh, we both have, uh, yeah, obviously Iowa State. I, From what I recall, the first time I met you was... Uh, in like the north end zone at Jack Trice for a game. Yes. Um, I don't remember the game. It was early in the season. Uh, it was probably hot. But I don't know. We just started chatting or whatever. I don't know if we started talking about politics or something. <laughs> uh, and just had a good conversation. Then, of course, as the world goes and, and Twitter or Instagram or these right. things, it's like you can have a relationship with somebody without actually almost ever seeing them. Yeah. Right? Facebook's a crazy thing. Right? Yeah. But in reality, I don't know you that well. All right. Uh, I feel like you told me you were born in Boston, raised in Boston. Is that right? That is true. But when I looked up your high school, it wasn't in Boston. Where'd you go to high school? So I was actually went to a boarding school in Tilton, New Hampshire. It's like an hour and a half away from Boston. I grew up in Methuen, Massachusetts, so that's 20 minutes north. So it was an hour away from my house. Um, And I wasn't the greatest student, as most of us, you know, weren't in middle school. And uh, so my parents wanted me to have a, a, a smaller classroom size where I had an actual relationship with the teachers. You know, I could really focus and learn. And that kind of turned into me being getting better at basketball and, you know, them wanting to invest in me with, you know, a little bit of an athletic scholarship to go to boarding school. And uh, from there was school and basketball. and. I did, uh, people don't know this, but I did five years of high school, you know, the, the victory lap. Oh, you did? School. Yeah, it's, it's kind of common in the Northeast to repeat a grade for sports. 
but mine was just to mature, you know, so I'd stop like yelling out in class and stuff like that. Um, so yeah. So was it sort of like a, like a like a dead poet society type of setup where you're like out in the country on this like picturesque campus? <laughs> you know what? Um, it's actually funny that you say that because it was probably in rural New Hampshire, which not too many people make it up there. Um, so there's no real chance for me to get in trouble other than yelling out in class. So that was probably a, a really beneficial thing for me. And, uh, you know, like I said, the small classrooms were great. I got to build relationships, learn how to speak with adults, which is probably why we actually had more than a 10-second conversation yeah. um, when we did meet each other. So that was, that was huge for me in my development, especially when I got to college. Just learning how to speak to people and engage was huge for me. So you get to college. Yeah. Why Iowa State? You know, that's a funny story. So I, don't, I was telling this the other day. I don't know if anybody has ever had to travel from New Hampshire to Ames, Iowa. It's like three airplanes. Yeah, exactly. It's like a 14-hour trip. And when the recruiting process was going on, now that it's changed with NIL and stuff like that, Fred Hoiberg, you know, was like, you're my plan A. I don't want to have a plan B. And he was the first high major school to offer me a scholarship. And he came to see me for like a month straight. And I was like, if anybody can travel 14 hours there and back, you know, I, I'm not too good for them. So I'm going to Iowa State. I loved, you know, how he used Royce White back in the day. And I felt like that really fit me. And let alone, it was, it was the best decision I ever made in my life. How would you describe your style of game? That's funny. Um, you know, I would kind of say like a hybrid. Like now my game is kind of different than when it was in college, but kind of a jack-of-all-trades guy. Like, uh, you know, the, they joke and say the old YMCA. It doesn't look like he'll get it done, but he gets it done. I have a bunch of, like, quirky shots that I shoot off the backboard that, you know, tend to go in. And I could space the floor, but I could also pass and dribble. Um, so I was a matchup nightmare. I didn't play much defense, but I was a matchup nightmare. So that worked out. But if you get in the lane and you put your arms out really wide, yeah, exactly. you sort of cover some space. You know? <laughs> right? You cover more ground than you think, right? Um, yeah, so that all happened. And, uh, you know, I kind of described myself as just a jack-of-all-trades guy. I kind of could do it all. Um, wasn't really fast or could jump really high, but, you know, being able to throw people's timing off was something that, you know, really helped me out uh, at the college. I mean, the home. jump hook off the glass, yeah, from what I recall, your time at Iowa State, was sort of your signature, yeah. whether it was a rebound or they brought it into the post. Yeah. It was pretty much unstoppable, and yeah. it seemed like it went in about 95% of the time. I should put a patent on that one, right? Nobody used the glass back then, and now it's just all jump hooks and, and in and that. But yes, that was like my signature move. So your names for four, four years, years yep, yep. four NCAA yeah. Permanent appearances, two Sweet Sixteens, two Sweet Sixteens, yep, and uh, two conference championships. Is there any certain game that uh, you like? That's the game that oh. you have just such an unbelievable memory. Uh, whether it's you know winning a Big Twelve championship or one of these Sweet Sixteen or or beating the beating the Hawkeyes. Yeah, beating them like the three times that we beat them are like ingrained in my mind. One, because the first year we lost, I just remember all their fans, you know. It was my freshman year. I really didn't know what to expect. Um, obviously, I was active on the internet back then with Twitter and, uh, you know, they kind of, the fans heckled all of us. But um, then I remember my, you know, sophomore year, we were down 20. They blew the lead. They, they got real nervous and we took it over. And then my junior year was the kiss. And then uh, my senior year was they're being up 20 again and us beating them and I remember saying in a press conference before like 
you know, if we finish the series 2-2, what's the point of playing? So then I remember adding pressure to that. But the Iowa series was definitely, a Seahawk series was definitely, you know, one that I'll remember forever. But other than that, it's coming back from 20 down at uh, when we were playing against Oklahoma senior night and then Kansas uh, on game day. I mean, Hilton Magic is, is real. Like, uh, people people think it's like a joke, but when you're, you know, in there and your clothes are shaking because it's so loud, it's, uh, it's um, you understand why they call it Hilton Magic. I was, I, one of my questions was, and I might as well just ask now, yeah. Of all the great things about Hilton, and I, of course, I've gone to, I don't know how many games there, probably 70 games over the yeah. years. Uh, it's what's one of the things that makes it very different is there's not like luxury suites. No. Know, right? All these new arenas now yeah. have lower level luxury suites. Yeah. They're all s- sort of similar. Um, what if you could change one thing, change one thing about Hilton Coliseum to try to make it a little bit better? You, have you ever thought about anything that you'd like to change? You know, I mean, I'm a big, like, there should be one, like, luxury area. But I think, you know, as they've gone on, they've done such a good job. Like, the, adding the Johnnies is, yeah. like, really, really cool. Then, you know, kind of the new Jumbotron. Then the dimming the lights. I think that's really cool. I think if you can add, like, another, you know, they have the north end zone and then the sukup end zone and at the football uh, uh, Jack Trice uh, Stadium. You're really just saying if you can drink inside. Exactly. That's now, yes. now you're not playing. If you can go back and yeah. have drinks now inside that the arena, yeah. that, would, that, <laughs> that, 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 that would be nice. Be uh, TJ Otzenberger, yes. he was there he when re- you were there. He recruited me, actually. I remember our, him coming up to Ames, Iowa and recruiting me. Uh, no, coming up to uh, Tilton, Tilton, New Hampshire and recruiting me and He's just an OBS guy, and I think he what he stands for is remarkable in the culture that he's building over there. He's given these guys winning habits, not only to win in professional basketball, but to win in life. And, you know, just setting the standard to this is what is going to be accepted, and if you're not willing to do these things, then you can't be a part of this fraternity. And I think that's kind of what he instilled in us and all the guys he recruited, and Matt, Naz, me, um, you know, Monte, um, you know, all the other guys that were recruited by him. Let's go through those guys really quick. Yeah. Uh, how many how many guys that you played with in that era are yeah. are currently playing professional basketball? It was quite the group. I, yeah, I think yeah, in, no. in probably Iowa State uh, history, there was wasn't a, a, a time where it seems like five six guys, whether they're in the in the NBA or the playing overseas. Uh, where is everybody right now? Uh, well, so I didn't play. I was on the same team as Nick Babb. He was redshirting, but he he's in Germany. Naz is in Italy. Monte's in Washington D.C. I'm in Philly. Uh, Abdul Nader was with the Phoenix Suns. Deontay Burton, I think, might be in Korea, but he was with Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, yeah, that's it's quite the group. Six guys, but no, but no, like flat oh, out Mel- stars. Melvin Edgem, yeah, Will Clyburn, Chris Babb. Wow, yeah, no, quite the group, but no, nobody was like a you know top five no. NBA pick. There was no Zion Williamson, yeah, uh, on yeah. our team, and I think we all just. Hoiberg doesn't pay enough. He didn't pay enough. Exactly, yeah. No, the NIL money was not there, and uh, that was cheating back then. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. yes. Um, well, so, so you have this great college career. Yeah. You, uh, you get drafted 50th pick yeah. uh, by the Indiana Pacers. Right. You grew up in Boston. Yeah. The president of the team? Yeah, it was Larry Bird. Larry Bird. Oh, it was unreal. I, uh, I mean, as a Boston kid, you grow up 
idolizing someone like that. You hear so many stories about him talking shit and doing all these other things and then going out there and sticking someone for 40 points and then now he's there in the war room drafting you, introducing you, and you're kind of being, he's my boss. And uh, that was so cool. But, um, you know, I think from the professional level, when, before we dive into it, I'll just say, I wish I, obviously I wish I knew what I knew now back then, but, you know, as a professional, like, yeah, you know, you're drafted and, you know, you're slotted in a team, but nothing's, like, guaranteed. You almost think, like, oh, they're going to give me my opportunity. It's like, no, that, that's not how this works. I think in, in the NBA, it's, like, first-round picks. You're, you're probably going to make the team right. unless you're just yeah. – unless they just don't have room for right. you, basically. Second-round pick, it's oh. almost unlikely yeah, like to make the team. Yeah. In the NFL, I feel like it's about the first four rounds. And that was a fourth-round pick. Yeah. But they'll occasionally still cut a fourth-round pick. And when looking back – Washington should have cut me. I was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I played, but what saved me was the preseason games. Right, yeah. I practice. I was terrible. Yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. You know, it, everything was too fast for me. But in the games, I could just sort of go out there and shut it all in play. But you know, fifth, sixth, especially sixth and seventh rounders, yeah. they get cut oh. like like a second round. So I feel like, oh, you got drafted in the seventh round, like Brock Purdy, Mister Irrelevant. I mean, the chance of Mister Irrelevant to making the team are are pretty slim. So it was a pretty big deal for him to even make that. Yeah, Kind of moves up the ladder now. Now he's number two. Yeah. Interesting thing about that: um, when he left Iowa State, uh, my buddy Will uh, Will Hewlett, he's a throwing coach down in Jacksonville. Uh, Brock went down there and started working with him. I don't know through the agent or something. But I was like his X's and O's coach. Yeah. So he would FaceTime you. We'd FaceTime, and, and I would uh, uh, put. Um, I would be watching uh, NFL clips, yeah. and, I, and he could see them, yeah. and I could draw on the the oh, app okay. that I have and everything. Yeah. So literally, we're when, what do we mostly watch? The 49ers. 49ers, the Rams, and the Packers, because that's sort of my history right. with Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, yeah. and Matt LaFleur, and then the 49ers draft them. So I sort of feel like he my coaching in like some way is like, this is how Kyle would teach me yeah. about how like offense and defense sort oh of works. And then he gets drafted, and now he's the number two guy. I hope he gets a shot. I mean, I don't hope anybody gets injured, but I hope he gets a shot. That'd be pretty cool. He's yeah. such a good dude. Such a good dude. Uh, a great young great young player. Um, so you're, you're in Indianapolis. Um, you don't last very long there, though, no. right? Short uh, stint. Short stint. Um, you played for the Fort Wayne Mad, Mad Ants. Can you tell me what a Mad Ant is? I have no idea. So Larry Bird, I mean, not that he just, like, he obviously didn't like you that much as a player, but he, like, played in like he was a person to send you to Fort Wayne, Indiana, to play for the Mad Ants. And it feels, oh feels like maybe God. one of the last places that I'd want to go oh, man. to get my professional basketball career going. Fort Wayne's a different place. So uh, that's the G League affiliate of the Indiana Pacers. So while I was with the Indiana Pacers, I was sent down to them during that year. But once I was cut, I actually signed with the Santa Cruz Warriors, or the Golden State Warriors, and that's kind of like where my career kind of took off. Because the Golden State Warriors had just won a championship. It was Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. And I got to see, as you know, what being an ath- being a, um, an athlete is like the habits. Where I didn't know like what it took. And in college, everything was set up. You lift, you eat, you go to class, you come back, you practice. Whereas like everything was on schedule. Now it's like you have all this free time. You don't have school. You don't have any you know responsibilities. And now it's like, well, how am I going to take care of my body? How am I going to get extra work? And how am I going to watch film? And once I came up with a routine, because I saw like Kevin Durant, uh, Steph, Clay, 
at the same time every single day. They, it was like habitual. They did like these seven structure. Oh yeah, they call that. Yeah. And I think that's one a big jump from college to pros yeah. is that structure. Oh, and the NFL has more structure than than the NBA. Absolutely. seems like to me. But because you guys you, you play at night, but you have like a lot of time during the day, oh, and absolutely. you travel for multiple days and have days games. off. You guys have sixteen. Each game means. And, and we fly in and we fly back. Right. You guys sometimes have like extra days, extra, yeah. an extra night in South Beach, <laughs> you know, those types of. We don't do that. Those types of those types of scenarios. Talking about uh, Steve Kerr. Yeah. I mean, is, do you think do you think that was monumental for you, even though you didn't you know play there for three or four years, right. but just to learn the game? Because Steve Kerr is a guy who physically limited right. one exceptional skill as a player shooting right. but then now had, had created this team of extremely talented players of course all great shooters it seems right. like on that team um, but but did you learn a, a basketball NBA basketball specifically like a lot from from playing for Steve Kerr yeah you know I think what Steve does is he instills confidence in uh, all of his players and uh, I think what he does on an elite level is instilling confidence and crediting the small victories. Whereas if your role is to set screens or to rebound, he does a great job of pulling you aside and be like, hey, that rebound created this, which is why we have this many points. And you're like, rather than being like, oh, I didn't score, you're like, I had some input in those three points that yeah. somehow Steph Curry was dribbling between his legs 20 times to get. And I think when you have a coach like that that breaks down the small victories, it, everybody has a place. Everybody has like a trophy room where it's like, I I belong here because I can do X, Y, and Z, and other people aren't willing to do that. And he's done that on an elite level. I mean, I think he's been coaching for like eight years, and he has like four championships. Yeah, so it's crazy. My high school coach used to uh, occasionally on <coughs> a great outlet pass. He would give the assist and get a rebound, great outlet pass. That guy then passes it to somebody for an easy layup. Yeah. And he would give the assist to actually the outlet pass. Wow. So he thought that was more, almost more valuable and more – like it wouldn't have happened without one, the board, but then yeah, – yeah. so he called the assist to the assist. The ho- hockey assist. That's yeah. <laughs> is that what that is? Yeah, that's but what it is. It is extremely yeah. – but there is huge value in that. But statistically, there, it, that doesn't show up like an NBA. No, it doesn't. A lot of point guards would be pissed off if they got the assist. <laughs> Taken away by the rebound guy. So Steve didn't change that. No, he did not. But the he assist. got a small compliment from him. I the assist, assist. So we're going to play a game real okay. quick because you have traveled around, and we'll get back to your your career. Yeah. Um, one meal in Ames, Iowa. Where do you go? Uh, you know, my people at Wallabies. Wallabies take good care of me. That's 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 home base. Two drinks in Ames, Iowa. Where do you go? Um, I can't forget my roots. Uh, Ah, it's a close one between size roost and uh, patties. Size roost. Yeah. You play for good spot for some billiards. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, One drink, uh, one meal in Indianapolis. Were you there long enough to? Yeah, I would uh, probably go to St. Elmo's. St. Elmo's cocktail. Yeah, absolutely. The spicy, spicy sauce. Yeah, combine time. (laughs) Uh, Two drinks in Indy. Um, you know, I would say Brothers or uh, I can't forget the I forget the place that had uh, the cheesy breadsticks. I can't think. Uh, I can't think of the place. It was such a long. So must, time. It, was, it was a short. You were only there it was a short time. Percent. Yeah, I probably shouldn't have been drinking. <laughs> that was the bad habits yeah, thing that you hadn't exactly, quite learned yet. Exactly. All right, so now we're going to Salt Lake. Okay, one meal in Salt Lake. Um. Uh. 
The Park Cafe. The Par? The Park. Park, park Cafe. The Park Cafe. What's the, what's the best thing to eat there? Um, so they had the best brunch I've ever had. I've ever had. And uh, so I would get their omelet and uh, French toast. But sometimes I'd get a little healthier. Is there a place in Salt Lake that you can have two drinks? You know what? That is a good question. Uh, but I always end up at a place called Lake Effect. Is there, are, is there, like, a fact? Is there certain... No, there's uh, a rule. Like, you can't have, like, I couldn't be like, hey, we're in here. You're like, hey, go grab a drinks. I couldn't be like, hey, give me two Bud Lights. They'd be like, I need to see two IDs and two people. In Salt Lake. But I could get you a shot and me a Bud Light. Weird. I'm, oh, really? Yeah. It's, was it, is it one of those cities where you had to, like, sign something before you walk no, in? No. And you're like, but it was like Charlotte that. has yeah, that. it was like that before. Yeah. No, it's not like that. Yeah, it's not. It's funny. <laughs> it's, of all the cities in the United States, I think Salt Lake's probably uh, the city I know, know the least about. So let, let's, go, let's go back to Salt Lake. You leave uh, your, uh, your, well, actually, Golden State, you go to Santa Cruz. Yeah, so then I go to Santa Cruz, and then I get picked up by Utah, whose G League team, I was on that new two-way contract where you have, like, 50 days up with the team, with the NBA team, but you're down with the G League, and I finagled my way into, you know, being up with the team. There was a lot of injuries, um, but Santa Cruz was, like, an hour and a half away from the Bay, so there was no real, like, synergy between the teams that you could just go just go pop up there whereas Salt Lake City like the Salt Lake City Stars we were literally like we practiced at the facility like it was twonk and we played the game 15 minutes away same owner um, I'm not sure I don't think so but there was so much we were so close it was great synergy it was you could go play a game with the Salt Lake City Stars and practice the next day with the Jazz and then oh, really? ride off with them. So it was that close. Super easy. Yeah. Uh, did you really enjoy living in that city? It oh, seemed like it. I loved it. I loved it. I mean, people try to give Utah a bad rap, but you know, the outdoors was unreal. Uh, the people were unreal. Um, I know people are like, oh, the Mormon, you know, culture, but you know, they're. There's normal people out there, and it was uh, such a great experience. Um, I had such a good time out there. Obviously, when it happened, I was devastated that I didn't go back to Utah, but I finally, you know, built a home here in Philly, and it's been yeah. awesome. I'm guessing uh, there's something about playing for the Jazz, being like they're the only professional oh. team in town. I mean, awesome. you know, you're in Philly now. I mean, this is an Eagles town. They oh. love their Sixers. No. It's an Eagles town. There's Phillies. Yeah. There's hockey. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's, it has it all. But yeah. Utah, sort of like, sort of like Nebraska. Yeah, they well, just have you, Nebraska. Yeah, they just have their football team, exactly. basically. You are the only show in town, and they love their jazz. And, you know, I think about how passionate those people are. And, um, sometimes you were lucky to be the only show in town, and other times you were like, God, I wish the spotlight was off me for a second. But it was, I had a great time there, and you're right. That is like Nebraska. Or even Iowa State to a certain extent, where, you know, you're the only show in town, but it was good not having to share all the spotlight with a football team, baseball team. And spotlight team. and sponsorship opportunities exactly. as well. Exactly. Anybody in particular on that team uh, that you got really close with yeah. or really enjoyed? I was uh, really close with Joe Ingles. Like me and him really built like a close bond and me and him are still really close. He was kind of like the big brother to kind of like point me in the right direction um, of how to you know adapt to 
you know, NBA life and structure. And this was like my next opportunity because when I got cut from Indiana, I was like, did I just ruin my only opportunity to play professionally? And he kind of, you know, led me in a way that, you know, helped me out a ton. And like I said, we still talk today. And he's kind of unathletic. I'm kind of unathletic. He can probably dribble a little better than me. You're an NBA player. Yeah. And you consider yourself unathletic. I mean, NBA athletes are really athletic. You get, you know what I mean. Like, you, well, I do. I yeah. mean, when they when they're guys like you that weren't as athletic, I was like, oh man, it must be tough. <laughs> exactly, man. Oh yeah, believe me. Every quarterback uh, in the national, almost every quarterback in the National yeah. Football League, the guys you're throwing to, or the guys on the other side of the football, linebackers and safeties, you're oh. you're just you can't. You, then you go play basketball with them, like in the off season, and receivers are just throwing it down. I oh, mean, and, and you know, obviously, guys that probably could have played major college basketball, but of course, they're you know they're a wide receiver, they're a tight end, they're crazy, crazy athletes. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. Uh, since we're now on to Philly, one restaurant in Philly is it is it Cafe Mods? So just for for uh, for the listeners, viewers out there, um, I got a recommendation uh, for breakfast here. At this place called Cafe Lamad. Cafe Lamad. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend and I uh, took a lift here this morning. It's about 12 minutes from our hotel. We ate. It was so good, but I was like, we, we actually ended up walking back just to get a little exercise because oh, it was like, man, I was like, you know, it, it, but it was, yeah. it, 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 it's Lebanese, like Lebanese brunch or something yes. like that. Yeah, Lebanese, Syrian, Mediterranean. It's yeah. Just, it's really good. Um, and then George sends me his address. I type it in my phone and I'm like, wait, he's literally uh, above the restaurant yeah. right down below, which you probably should stay away from. I, I told Sage that was dangerous in more than one ways for me. Um, but yeah, no, Cafe Lamont is a heck of a place to enjoy brunch. And I've been spoiled on more than one occasion of having that available. But other than Cafe Lamont, uh, uh, one restaurant in Philadelphia? Um, you know, I'm a, like a big like Mexican, but I also like love sushi. And I could throw in some Italian, but um, the place that I've gone the most, I would say, is this place called Double Knot. But there is a Mexican place called... Um, Elvez that's really good and um, Giorgio on Pine is, a, is my Italian yeah. go-to spot so I gave you three that's fine that's fine it depends one, on what I'm feeling yeah, yeah, yeah what are you feeling but what about two drinks two, I mean because Philadelphia very different very different than Utah they know how to drink here yeah, there's no just having two drinks when you go to <laughs> Philadelphia um, I would have to say the Barstool Bar it's uh, it's actually like Barstool Sports yes I'm gonna, probably going to get crushed for saying that <laughs> no, that's fine but it just has a good atmosphere in there um, you know it doesn't make me feel too old now that I'm 28 so I feel like I can kind of you know relive my college glory days in there without being judged and uh it's a it's a really cool sports bar. I feel like there's an aspect of uh, a bar stool where it's sort of like you know, the, 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 the the hardcore bar stoolers never really grow out of like their teenage years from like a maturity standpoint. Does that make sense at all? They're sort of like Are you point the finger at me. Not you, you're 28. I'm 44. So like then the guys who started that thing, those main guys, yeah. they're like in their 40s or yeah. maybe even um, maybe even older. I feel like and yeah. there's still it's like sort of a sort of a juvenile. Uh, <laughs> I'm not mad that I've never grown no, up. No, yeah, nothing <laughs> wrong with that. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna play a game with you. All okay. right. We're going to talk about politics, Oof. but we're not going to talk about politics in the sense of what you're thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about politics in, in your playing career from yeah. Iowa State to these various teams you've been on. Okay. No coaches, just players. Yeah. All right. 
who would be the best president of the United States? Out of all the guys that I've played with, mm. that's a good one. I'd probably have to say Kyle Corver. Corver? Yeah. How come? And he's I, another Iowa guy. Yes, he is. Yeah. I just think he's so well-spoken. He doesn't like where a lot of guys have like emotional reactions. If you were to say something that would cause an event, he would take his time, think about it. If he wasn't ready to answer, he'd be like, I'll get back to you on that one. And then actually get back to you on like two, three, like I was thinking about what you said. And I think, you know, as a political leader, you want someone that is rational and doesn't make emotionally rash decisions. And Kyle fits that mold. And I kind of remember a story when we were in the bubble in Milwaukee, he was on Milwaukee and they kind of were like blamed for like stopping the boycott of, you know, when there was that um, Kenosha, there was a kill oh, yeah. Kenosha. And there was like this big riff with like all of us should be play or should we go protest. And the way he handled himself in front of 450 NBA players and coaches where I would have thought like I would have crumbled with fear with, you know, people asking irrational questions. And he just handled it with so much poise. Um, and he had great characteristics when he was, you know, describing different things. Um, and I just would want him to lead a group that uh, I was proud to be a part of. I remember seeing some uh, something Corver said, and maybe it was during that time or a different uh, a spot in the last four or five yeah. years. He said something. And, you know, from a, a kid from Pella, Iowa. Yes, that's right. Right. Um, I thought to myself, you know, and, and I sort of had this. I'm from a Iowa, yeah. small town, 6,000. And but my experience, if I would never left that small town, would have been one thing. So my 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 views on other people, whether right. it's religions or races, would have been coming from just that that town's yeah. view in a lot of ways. Right. But Corver course has a 90-year NBA career oh. and has been around so many athletes uh, of from all backgrounds right. and how much that I'm sure had a huge impact on how he views the world now and views people and views yeah. religions that are different from him or races that are different from him than if he would have just gone, you know, Pella, Creighton, done, <laughs> yeah. right? Oh, exactly. He was telling me stories about how he was in Philly with Alan Iverson. When I was like playing in Utah, I'm like, you played with Allen Iverson? Like, how old are you? I played with uh, uh, Bruce Smith and Brett Favre, I remember. So, you know, yeah, I understand you're, that. You're right up there, too. <laughs> you sort of, you go from one, uh, like, one era to oh another era. Oh, my God. You it's, know? it's crazy to think about that, because I was like, didn't Allen Iverson retire, like, 12 years ago? Yeah. He's like, yeah, my rookie year. And he told me how they played, like, the New Jersey Nets. I'm like, the New Jersey Nets are the Brooklyn Nets now, so... Um, yeah. well, well, speaking of that, though, uh, uh, you brought up Iverson. You guys got James Harden on the team. We do. So then I think of like those two guys as players, and there's some similarities there, which means like Corver probably just went over and sat in the corner. Yeah. Which is probably a spot that you generally sort of migrate to. I'm gonna sit in the corner There's and let James Harden yeah. <laughs> just let James Harden do his thing, and maybe he'll throw me the ball, and I'll have a wide open three. It seems like that's probably what Corver did when yes. he playing with Iverson. Yeah. No. If- Kyle Corbett can make a living at it. I'm going to try hard as heck to do the same for myself. So, yeah, no, they, they offer the same dynamic. Both ISO players are both here in Philly. Uh, we also have Joel Embiid. I don't know if Alan Erickson ever had a dynamic yeah. big like that ever. But, uh, yeah, kind of similar roles in, in the same town just 20-plus years later. All right, second politics question. Who would be the best secretary of the Treasury? 
And this doesn't that, this does not necessarily mean they made the most money. Oh no! It probably actually means they they didn't make all that much money, but uh, have been just so strategic and smart and efficient with it that they didn't waste it. Who who would that be? You know what? I would have to say Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris. Yes. So he is. You know, when it comes to financial literacy, he's the elite of the elite. And you wouldn't think it... You where, know, where did he go to school? He went to Tennessee, but he was one and done. Okay. You know, but I think what he's learned over the years, and um, you know, whether I'm talking to him about fi- financial literacy, like I remember um, one time I was teasing him. I was like, so you're not going to get me like a New Year's Eve like present or whatever? He was like, gee. He was like... I'll pick up the phone 15 years from now and be able to give you um, some financial advice, and that's the best gift you can ask for. But, but that being said, he's invested in a ton of different other things, but can actually sit down and talk to you about it. And if you want to get introduced to his financial people and how he goes about things, like he's gotten involved in Crumble Cookie, right? And Tobias Harris is a max player. You would think that if you wanted to go to wherever you want to go over the weekend, he could fly private there. No. Tobias Harris is flying commercial, which I came back from Iowa this weekend. I went to the game against Ohio, big victory for the Cyclones. And I get off the plane and I see him walking off the plane and I'm like, what, what the heck? Is, is he, he flying there? first class? Yeah, he's flying first class. <laughs> well, it's better. He's a max player. $1,000 is better than spending $30,000. What's, what's a max player in the NBA? 35? Yeah, 35 to $38 million a year. And he's flying Delta. So we get off the plane and I'm like, we'll walk through the Philadelphia airport and people are just like, Tobias, Tobias. And I'm thinking to myself, like, how much of that can you take? But all that is not worth the 30000 for him to spend or 50 or 80 to fly private, where most Max guys haven't flown private in 10 years. I've always looked at it, uh, and there's times where I feel like I can afford that higher lifestyle, yeah. but I sort of choose not to because I just don't see the value right, no, in it. It's like, what's the, it's a two hour flight. It's an hour flight. I yeah. can, you know, even a taller guy in first class, you can be a little bit uncomfortable right, no, for 90 minutes or two hours. Right. Um, okay. So he's a treasure secretary of state. Now this is international traveler gets along with everybody, but also smart and strategic. Hmm. I don't know if you, if this would be one of my teammates, but I will had got to spend some time with him in the bubble. Uh, Boban Marjanovic, the big like seven six guy that they called him like Lurch on TV, and he was like doing stuff like this. He's from uh, I think it's Serbia, and he's just so he gets along with everybody. Everybody's friends with him. Everybody's cool with him, and I think he would be someone that. Where is uh, Joe Engels from? He's from Australia, but I wouldn't trust him getting along with everybody. Well, do you know why Australia was started in the first place? Wasn't it they brought like criminals from England? (laughs) Yeah, I think it was like, oh, yeah, I believe so. (laughs) I believe so. It's like, hey, where can we put them? But we don't have to deal with them on this island. So his ancestors are criminals? That that all makes sense. (laughs) I'm I'm guessing Australians probably don't like that. But I believe it's a true fact. I believe it's a real fact. I I heard it was too, but I didn't want to bring it up. You did. Okay. (laughs) The Secretary of Education. The smartest guy. Oh. Doesn't necessarily have to, doesn't necessarily mean he got along with everybody, but just like that guy is, he's the 4.0 engineer. No offense to basketball players, you don't get a lot of those. Yes, we don't. Um, you know, that's like a toss-up. There's three guys that I would probably pick. Andre Iguodala is probably up there. C.J. McCollum is definitely up there. Um, 
Garrett Temple and or Pat Connaughton. I think all those guys carry themselves in a mature way and value education and, you know, do a lot of things with schools and giving back. Um, so one of those four, I'd have to go with Andre Iguodala. He's probably had the most experience. Um, I feel like I saw him the other day on like MSNBC or something oh, he's where doing they, it were, they were talking about the way he was investing in various things and, and uh, um, how he really dives into the, you know, the, the academics of his investments instead of just taking someone else's uh, advice. Yeah. The coolest thing about the bubble is that you got to have like your teammates, but everybody had to hang around with each other. So you literally got to know like everyone else's team. And I thought that was probably one of the coolest things. And the bubble was Vegas? No, it was Orlando. Orlando, that's right. Orlando. Me, Mickey Mouse. 60 days? Yeah. It was a long time. Did you get into golf? I did. I did. I got into golf. Still aren't very good, but enjoy playing. Did you, uh, there was a shooting coach for the Miami Heat. Yeah, is a great golfer. Um, I actually got to know him. When I was in, uh, when I was playing for the Dolphins, I played the golf thing, and I was like, "This guy's the best golfer yeah. that I've ever seen." And then he gets, he's, so he's a shooting coach for the Heat. He gets, uh, uh, they're in Orlando, and I, I ran into him after that whole bubble thing, and he was like, every single day, people are asking him to like go play golf because he could help with their swings. <laughs> and he, he was like, "I'm a shooting coach by by night, yeah, golf, golf coach, coach by, by day, because yeah. <laughs> there's nothing else to do." I'm guessing. No. There was like seven activities, the pool, the dining hall, golf, um, an arcade, I think, or go to other people's hotels on a train. You literally couldn't leave. No. If you left, you had to spend 12 days by yourself in like quarantine. Could you, and you couldn't play? No. You no, couldn't play. So no. if you left, or if you had somebody in, was that part of the thing yeah. too? You weren't supposed to like bring anybody on yeah, the property? you know, someone may have gotten kicked out for having someone in, but you know. Yeah, they were not playing any games. They were serious about not having COVID get in there. They didn't have any outbreaks. It was the safest, safest place to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, last one, Secretary of Defense. This is the one that's always ready, always has all the details, you know, probably extremely loyal to their team and to their teammates and the organization. Wow. And just to, you know, almost like a little over the top of uh, preparedness. Oh, uh, and, and this has to be my teammates. Or I've been listing people in the NBA, so I'd probably be sure. cheating. Um, you know, if it was one of my teammates, I would probably, when you think of defense, I think of Rudy Gobert. But okay. I wouldn't say, after his, everything that happened with COVID, I wouldn't say he's the most prepared. <laughs> um, I would definitely have to go with Mike Conley. He's always, he's one of those, like, tiny guys that's always trying to figure out the details and how does this work, little sneaky one. He's someone I'd want to to head my the uh, sneaky one yes secretary of defense yeah well I mean like he's, he's making sure good that we're all good and if you could uh, uh, change one thing about the NBA in general what would what would it be wow um, everybody gets a max contract no I'm kidding um you know what? Would it be young guys making more and the max sort of goes down? Yeah. And so, would, like, I hey, would, I made it for two or three years and you made more than a million bucks or, right, or something? Right, I would definitely do that. I think there needs to be more of a condensing or, like, scale it up this way. Not to say that we don't get paid well, but <laughs> the difference between someone that is your star player and someone that is a role player, I think the difference is 
way too much. Um, but, you know, I think next year, hopefully, um, with the money going up, all that changes. And I'm sure with the collective bargaining agreement with guys, um, you know, refusing to play, I'm sure there'll be some tiff here and there and some things that they want to change. What is the average uh, playing career in the NBA? I guess that's sort of hard to describe because you guys have like two-way contracts. And I don't think they count those as like years of service unless you've like maxed out your days. So many, so many games. Yeah, but I think I would say five. Yeah, the NFL, I believe, is like three and a half or three and a third, which is interesting because we get vested as a player for like retirement benefits when we turn 59 or 60 at four years. So oh, they yeah. keep that literally underneath the average. Of course, save them some money. One thing I remember saying to you <clears> – <throat> I don't know if you were like year two or year three in the league. I, I saw you somewhere and we were talking and I sort of related to my career. Yeah. I remember like the first two or three years not knowing anything. Right. You're like you're just everything. The, the, not only does the game weight like, well, college basketball is different than the NBA. But now that the players weigh better and faster and it's just more complex. But um, I was just like didn't know what I was doing. But after about year four, year five, yeah. I was like, wait a second. I have an idea what's going on now. Yeah. I can play. Right. And I said to you, I was like, just if you can make it to five years, you might be able to make it to 10 years. Right. And it's this whole aspect of getting through that first four or five years and then you learn so much and then once you acquire that knowledge That's it's right. just like yeah. teams want to have those guys yeah. that you don't have to coach them but you're you know super coachable because you already know this is pretty much everything yeah. but if you're in your first two years you're just running around with your <laughs> you're working twice as hard and yeah. probably getting half as much done right, exactly. and now it's much more your style where you get to work half as hard right, right. and get a lot get a lot more yeah, yeah, done yeah, yeah. no I, actually now that I do I do remember that and then you think about where the time is gone and I'm going into year seven. It's kind of crazy how it all just comes about. You have a favorite nickname? Is, is, is the caravan? Is that just an the Iowa, minivan? Is no. the minivan? Is that just an Iowa State sort of nickname? No, that one started in Utah, and uh, I honestly it started because I told someone like I'm not a Ferrari engine, I'm more like a minivan. I need a couple laps out around the block before I get to full speed, and it's kind of stuck with me. But I'm open to new nicknames, maybe the Tesla. I think the minivan is nice because it's like. It gets the job done. Yes. All right. It's not always pretty. Yeah. All right. Plenty of room in there. Yeah. You know what I mean? A lot of things you can... For comfort. That can happen in a minivan. Very, <laughs> very comfortable. But it's very sort of like midlife and, yeah. and you know, it's a slower pace, exactly. which is fine. Yeah. But definitely gets the job done. No, 100%. And some of these minivans are sort of souped up. They got the leather seats yeah. and the heated... I got some spinny rims on them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, have you purchased uh, any expensive items now that you're you know, making a couple million bucks? Uh, the only thing that I've really purchased was uh, I used to drive, for my first five years in the NBA, I used to drive a car for free by a dealership in whatever city I was in. I left Utah and bought a Range Rover that was, I would probably say expensive, 43 grand, but compared to like... Other 43 grand? Yeah. For Range Rover? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it was 2016, so we're that's 2020. Did you buy it used? Yes. I would never buy it. But that's like good, it's like Warren Buffett advice. Yeah, I mean, as soon as you take it off the lot, you've lost 50, 30, 50. Did you know that when you were in, uh, in like high school? No, I didn't, but I was lucky enough to have an uncle that is, um, does a good job with his... Um, funds and told me to never buy a, a brand new vehicle. Of all the players you played with, who um, is sort of the opposite of that? The guy 
And I'm, and I'm, not, not, I'm not trying to say in a negative way. If they have the money, they can get whatever they want. But there's probably some guys with 10 cars. Mario Williams was a teammate of mine in Houston. He was the first overall pick in the draft. Six foot seven, 300 pound defensive end. Mm-hmm. 13 cars at one point in his career. Oh, wow. And then I think he was run a little low on the funds and had to sort of sell those depreciating assets off oh. <laughs> before the next He's season not still came playing, up. Is he? I don't think so. But he, play, he got like another $80 million contract with Buffalo. So I think He's doing he learned yeah. those lessons. But I've, I've always thought, and if I've said this, the worst thing you can do for like a young athlete is give them millions and millions of dollars. Um, and it's like, it's like the, it's like the, uh, the hardest thing to then become mature because of that, like financially mature, emotionally mature, because it's just like not a reality. Mm. Um, but it seems like you have uh, been pretty good at, at budgeting and, and not uh, being over the top. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you you learn when you first get into the NBA that like there's some things that you want, but I don't feel like they make you feel any different. But it's also easier to live a, a normal lifestyle than really spend and then try to reel it back and take yeah. away what you have. So the Mario Williams is not, uh, that would be tough to just splurge and then have to live. My general thought process was I never wanted to go, like I want to never uh, live in a house or have a car of which my next house or next car had to be less. So does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, so I just up, right? just always sort of slowly go up. So rather than you know buying a, a ten thousand square foot house, then like yeah. okay, my career's done. I can't afford a ten thousand square foot house anymore. I got to go back to something more reasonable. Um, it was always sort of like I never want to go backwards. Car, house, right. any of those types so of things. So you took just enough. Yeah, I've always been trying to. I mean, I grew up. My 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 mom was a midwife. So she delivered about 250 babies uh, at home, home midwife, not like a, not a hospital midwife. Yeah. And my dad sold wood burning stoves, probably made about 25 grand a year. Humble beginnings. <laughs> Humble beginnings. I had, I never feel like I, I we had everything we needed. Right. Big garden, we, we killed, uh, uh, we raised and slaughtered, I think is the phrase, 50 chickens every year and froze them. I mean, it was like living in the 1800s. Oh my. Uh, uh, pretty you much with my parents. Stone age, I never knew. Basically, <laughs> basically. But it, I think it made me realize like the value of 20 bucks. Right. Right. I mean, gonna ask my kids what the value of 20 bucks is. I promise you, it's like. A couple of Pepsi. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need, I need lunch. Can I get a 50? It's <laughs> yeah. like, what, 50? <laughs> um, but I think it's important. I think that will serve you extremely well because my guess is this isn't trying to limit your right. your your maximum capabilities, but max contracts. Yeah, but I don't know if that's not going to happen to you. What is your long term goal? You're going to have this career, whether it's another year or another ten years. And there's guys that are in your role that do play for 12, 14 right. years. Yeah. Dependability, smarts, right. team. I mean, John Sally played for like 37 years, and he wasn't doing much at the end. Available. Stability. There you go. Yeah. Um, what is your 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 end game after you're done playing? What are you thinking, you know, from there? I know it's it, hopefully it's a long ways away, right. but do you feel like you'll you'll move back somewhere? Do you want to get in uh, to coaching? Do you want to stay out of that rat race and, and, um, and travel around a lot? Or what, yeah, what are your thoughts? I think I may take a year or a couple months, six months, to kind of fill out what I really am passionate about. Obviously, I love the game of basketball and I want to be involved in that as long as I could, whether that's in coaching, front office, general management, you know. All that type of stuff. Um, you know, I love podcasting. Like the stuff that excites me, getting to know people, and 
I've taken a couple broadcasting classes that the MBPA has offered, and I find interest in that. The only thing I wonder about is missing the competitive juices of, you know, you don't really care who wins. You're just basically telling the story and looping your experiences into the story of, of broadcasting and color commentating. Um, so I would miss the competitive juices, the juices that would get going because, you know, I think you miss the same things. You know, yeah. we're competitors at the end of the day, whether if it's who can eat lunch the fastest or run to the beach. The, you know, it's just something about it, our DNA that you, you miss the competitive edge. Somebody gave me advice one time um, and they said, you know, the NFL is like you're on this train. And you're on this train, and whether you're you know, in the front, in the middle, in the back, you're on like the NFL train, and you know agents are on the train, and all sorts of people are on this train, right? They're living the, the NFL ecosystem. Yeah. And then you get kicked off the train. You're not choosing to like, oh, next exit, yeah. I'm, I'm done with this. Then everyone gets kicked off the yeah. train, right? You're going to get kicked off the train, yeah. too. Um, the only way back on is coaching or being an agent or getting yeah. get involved in it. But for the most part, guys are just sort of kicked off, and then you, you stare at this thing. You, you get kicked off, you turn around, and it's right there, and it's still hauling down the tracks. And you stare at it, and then you slowly start walking in the other direction. And you, you occasionally like look back, and there it is, still going. Walk a little bit further, you look back, it, there it's still going. It's a little bit further away, but yeah. still going. Yeah. Uh, and at some point, if you decide not to get back into like the NBA yeah. uh, or the NFL, you just sort of basically look the other way, and occasionally just sort of like look back, but it, you, you don't miss it as right. much. You don't. Uh, it doesn't bother you. When I'm telling you, you first get off that train. You're just like, it's a, it's a terribly tough feeling. Yeah, I wonder how some people can like feel like they have identity. Because so much time, as you know, since we were kids, effort is put into that game. College, high school, you know, now professional. Like, that's more than half of our life. And then now you have to find out who you are outside of that. Um, obviously, that's kind of makes me nervous at some points. But yeah. I mean... I feel like you've done a good job of kind of finding different avenues to fulfill like your cup and what you, yeah. you know, want to do or what you want to accomplish outside of that. Most guys, like, and this is kind of deep to say, like, I understand why guys are depressed and different things like that because their identity is the sport, you know, and a lot of guys don't have the wherewithal to realize that you're more than just that. Well, it's not only that is, you know, I got, I retired at 34, 35, my skill set, like my business skill sets in a lot of ways, was like I'm an intern, yeah. right? So all my friends graduate Iowa State, they got their jobs or had, did some certain internships, which was, was hard to do uh, as an athlete. Mm. Um, and, you know, at 23 years old, they were into some job. And of course, they were learning certain skills and, of course, computer skills to being in meetings <laughs> with executives right. or whatever it was. I'm like a 35-year-old, 23-year-old in a sense. Like I, ha- I, I know nothing. How- I never learned how to use like Outlook, which was you know emails oh, and things. Never, never learned how to do that stuff. We'd, I learned it in college for a hot second, but I like, never used it. And so, of course, all these things change, and you you sort of miss out on a lot of skills or a lot of like development that other people have. These late work experience, the you're yeah. very late to the party, yeah. and it makes you feel like I don't know anything. Yeah. But I can tell you how Cover Two works and Zone Blitzes. <laughs> 
and how to rig a how protection yeah. for a Sam Strong safety yeah. blitz. And, you know, I can do all these things, which have, you know, not a lot of value yeah. unless I'm in coaching right. and maybe some broadcasting yeah. and things like that. And so that is like this challenge that you go into because like for me, I, you know, I retired with three young kids right. and to get into coaching is pretty much like, well, do the same thing, do the same thing, but and probably work more hours, uh, be around my kids even less than I was before. And I just wasn't interested in that. So, I mean, maybe in the future, I've got, I've got one left. I got two in college, uh, one left in seventh grade. And so sometimes I'm like, well, maybe I'll be that guy who at like 50 years old gets back into it. But I've sort of gotten used to, you know, my own routine, which is a not that structured, <laughs> much slower, uh, uh, minivan sort right. of pace. You're enjoying the, you're enjoying the ride. You're I'm enjoying it, but I'm also enjoying the fruits of the labor from, you know, growing up and playing all the sports. And, and of course I had one scholarship offer making the most of it. I have stay with, with my teammates got, I feel like I got really lucky, right. um, having this uh, great 2000 season having the career and so it's like well I don't really have to go back to that grind or my friends I mean sometimes like some of my friends are making a ton of money that that from from that I went to college with but they don't really love their jobs and they're working you know they're up at five in the morning to go work out quick to go be at their job at seven done at six and they're looking at computer screens all day and I'm like I don't want to do that either and it's sort of it's trying to find this magical thing of using the money that you do have to your advantage but also knowing that you don't know that much about money because you made your money you're going to make your money not like the traditional sense of owning a business or working for a company or being in the finance world or whatever because those are the people who usually make money so you're not going to have any expertise in those things so it is an interesting spot to be in and I I agree with you I I see why uh, uh, athletes really struggle when they're done it's a it can get lonely, especially if you don't really take the time in to develop yourself outside of being an athlete because, you know, you're basically starting at square one, but like you said, you're a 34-year-old intern and nobody's really interested in that, you know, especially what I've noticed is when you take that NFL, NBA tag away from you, it's like less and less people are interested in like, oh yeah, come and learn about this, but when you're in the know and you're in that into professional sports and you're a part of that fraternity, everyone's like, come speak with my or come take this advice, which... Is unfortunate, but it, it's the way of the world. Let's talk NBA real quick. You're in the, I guess, pre-early season, sort of like training before the season starts, which I'm guessing is like October. Yeah, coming yeah, up yeah. pretty soon. I guess you guys start practicing. Training camp starts next Monday. So, or this fall, this coming Monday. So, are you training with the team right now? Yeah, yeah. So we come in. Everybody comes in. You know, I think playing pickup, getting acclimated with each other, just. Getting the wheels rolling because uh, when training camp comes, it's, it's full going. You're going for trying to go for eight months. Uh, eight months is probably what you're shooting for. Your season's insanely long. Yeah, 82 games, and then you have to win 16 to win a championship. So it yeah. does get intensely. Sixers in the uh, they're in the East. Yes. Uh, also, the, you're are you a sort of a Celtics I fan? A Celtics fan. Yeah. We play them actually opening night. You know, to go Russell ceremony that night there, so that should be an interesting night, and uh, I'm looking forward to it, being back home with them. Who else in the East? Uh, uh, the Bucks. Yeah, they're really good. Um, you also have the Miami Heat, the Cleveland Cavaliers just got uh, Donovan Mitchell, 
Um, we already talked about the Celtics, but um, you know, the Atlanta Hawks are really good. Um, the Wizards are, are always competitive. Um, I'm trying to think of who else they're But do, do you see, when you look at NBA teams, and you've been around long enough now and played against probably every team in the league, yeah. I would assume. Yeah. Um, you look at a team, uh, say the Bucks. Yeah. All right, they got their, they got Giannis. Ooh. Giannis, how you say his name? Yeah, you got it. Giannis. Yeah, however, you uh, say there's it, a G that's... there, but it's Giannis. All right, they they have him, but the Celtics have guys, and you know the Heat. Right. Yeah, yeah. How much do you look at players versus like this is sort of their scheme, right? This is what their coaches run that might be a little bit different, or certain coaches that might actually you think are better and more prepared, whether defensively or offensively. Right. Um, you know, that's like the Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich effect. You know, you always hear those guys because they're always thinking three steps ahead no matter who's on the court for them or who's on the court for anybody else. And I think, um, you know, the longer that I've been in professional sports, I mean, I, I think you can attest this too. The coaches or the teams that have that culture built in where they can have anybody come in and fit these roles that, you know, are recipes to winning, those are the teams where you're like, we can't go in and be loose against them. We have to be tight. Whereas other teams that have some talent where you're like, oh, a guy might have went out the night before or, you know, is having a And you sort, of, you sort of know who those guys yes, are. Yes, no. You, the league sort of like knows. Yeah. It's, it's not that big of a league, no, actually. It's, it's a fraternity. And I even though there's other 15 guys on the team, 17, no, 17 on the team, yeah. but there's really about 9, 10 no, who yeah, are yeah. mostly yeah. play. Yeah, no. It's, so you sort of know who the guys. Oh, you know who's doing what and who's getting active. When you guys play in Miami, do you guys try to fly in and get the heck out of there, or do you guys like fly in yeah. and spend say, an extra day? Or I, I mean, does Doc, basically does Doc Rivers like spend an extra day yeah, in Miami? Or? Um, you know, I think we have so many like coaches and specialists on our team that you know, if we were to get in late, staying an extra night in Miami, and I'm thinking that oh, you know, the guys can sleep. Well, that's probably not going to happen in Miami. You know, and we usually end up. And not getting much sleep, but I mean, I think there's times to pick and choose when you can enjoy um, your life. Obviously, I would not say the playoffs would be one of them, uh, but there's an 82 game season, it is extremely long, and you know, guys like to enjoy dinner and going out with the boys. And um, I, I think there's time for that, but it can't be all the time. You can't yeah. be doing that in Oklahoma City. Like that's that take, like takes maturity. Yeah, as I like to say, it's it's knowing when to do the wrong thing the right way. Yes, exactly. <laughs> take that advice with you. You could spread that to your to your teammates. <laughs> that is that to me is sort of the like. Um, I mean, it's hard to be a, a professional athlete and never, like, quote unquote, have fun and never go out and sort of enjoy right. what fresh athletes get to enjoy the, the access to get into certain places or right. certain restaurants. I mean, that's it is really fun. But you got to know how to do it the right way. You got to know how to uh, stay up late and then get up early and, and still get it done. Or to do it when um, when you have that night off or in the off season or find the right time. Was it run, run with the wolves? You better be up with the dogs or something? Like the birds, huh? something, something, something like that. Saying, yeah. But just doing the wrong things the right way is a little bit simpler. Exactly. exactly. Um, a couple more questions. When you're done, say traveling the world, you seem like a guy who would enjoy oh. traveling the world. Your dad is Senegalese. Senegalese. Yes. Senegalese. Senegalese. Where is Senegal? Um, and have you been there? Yeah, it's uh, in West Africa, and I've been there twice. I haven't gotten a chance to get back. 
recently. I went when I was like 12. That was the last time, so it's been over 15 years since I've been there. Um, beautiful country from what I remember. A lot of pure joy in the continent of Africa, and I'd love to get back when I get the chance. Hopefully I can play with the national team um, this summer, but it was uh, it was an amazing uh, experience when I went over there. I've been there twice, uh, but I love to travel. I mean, I've been to Europe, I've been to China, or Asia. Um, you know, I have not been to South America, Mexico, Canada, all those places. Um, but I, lo- I would definitely like to take some time to travel and see what this beautiful place of the world has to offer. Last question. The, it, it, your next international trip, let's take it off season. You get to go for a week, two weeks. Is there a certain destination that you really, really uh, want to get to? Yeah, I want to hit Greece, um, Italy, Spain. Uh, maybe even Croatia. I've heard a lot of great things. The med. Yeah, just kind of make your attic seat. Yeah, exactly. Just kind of make that week and a half long trip and just relax, enjoy, you know, the views out there and the great people. And you could be one of those like NBA guys who are like 36 years old. Goes overseas. You're over in Greece and like, hey, they'll pay me a million a year to shoot some hoops in Greece and, right. and hit the beaches. That's not bad. Uh, you know what? I might do that, but if I ever want a family, I'll say a lot of that. But, they might like that too. Yeah, that's true. You know what? You're right. Uh, Especially I, when the kids are young, they don't know the difference. Exactly. I don't know what the future holds for me, but if that is one of them, that's a blessing to make a million dollars to go live and play overseas, that's for sure. Yeah, sounds pretty good. Um, well, I think that's it. You have things to do. Yeah. Uh, I got to go to a charity event tonight. That's actually the the actual reason uh, yeah, I'm in yeah. town. Hitting, uh, He's looking at putting this on me. <laughs> <laughs> hitting a charity event and podcast and video cast going to go so long. We've gone about an hour here. Um, well, George, well, I do have one more question. I've always wondered this. What's that? Your first name. Why'd they put an S at the yeah. front? Well, I always tell people this joke is that, you know, when I was born, I was so big, the doctor thought there was two of me, so they put an S at the end. But, you know, that's not the real reason. Um, I was named after someone who was French, and in France it's pronounced Georges. But uh, I wasn't really fond of being called George. Yeah, being called that when I was younger, so it's just George. And Niang, to me, feels more Asian. That does <laughs> Senegalese. Yeah, well, is that a pretty? Is that sort not of the first time I've heard that? You've heard that before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I, I think it does have an, uh, an Asian sounding to it, but it is uh, Senegalese. It's a pretty common name. You know how many people in college that you know were African on other teams and were like looking at, like looking at the back of my jersey, looking at me, and they're like, "Are you from Senegal?" And I'm like, "No, my my dad is Senegalese," and they're like. Oh, because like you know, they're looking at my skin. Is that sort of a common name I in think so. Senegal or Almost in Africa? Like Jones or yeah. Rosenfels. Smith, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not Rosenfels. Yeah, no, um, yeah, no. I think it's a common name over there. So. You've enjoyed having an unusual name, or yeah, the, 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 S, the S might get annoying. Yeah, I've been called George's one too many times, but it comes with the territory. Yeah, I'm not too about it. George, is that how you said it? No, uh, George. George. George, like a J. Yeah, George. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, Thank I appreciate you. it. Uh, that is it. Sage Rosenfels, sign out for the Iowa Everywhere podcast system. Sweet. See if that works. Heck yeah. Would we go an hour and some change? Exactly an hour. Oh, hold on a second. I think it's, I think it's probably loading. Just give it a minute. I hope so. Iowa Everywhere.